0: Somebody to lean on. Power ballad Friday. I guess it's a sort of a power ballad, but nonetheless, it felt like the right time for a, a little Bill Withers. What do you think, Bill oh. Withers? Said, "Fan Jenny, beautiful." Uh,
1: yeah, who can't be a fan of that song? Yeah,
0: yeah. It's 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 quite. Uh, I don't know. It speaks what a little bit of hope, a little bit of sunshine in dark times. Uh, Bill said, "I'm a stickler for saying something the simplest possible way." with some elements of poetry. Simple is memorable. If something's too complicated, you're not going to walk around humming it to yourself because it's too hard to remember. So there you go. Bill with us for your Friday afternoon on the panel on RNZ National. By the way, we have one panelist. If you're wondering why there's just one, um, we somehow got the dates mixed up and Alan McRoy wasn't able to join us. But uh, nonetheless, I hope you well, Alan. Now, this might not be an issue for all regions, but the concept of rethinking and redesigning how we deal with water in events like we've seen has become critical now. There is something called an open stormwater concept. It has been used successfully in some areas. Could it be at least a part of the solution? So let's look more into flood Mitigation design. Andres Roa is the director of engineering consultancy AR and Associates. Andres, welcome to the panel.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So in Takanini, you have designed open water, sorry, open stormwater systems where water drains along swales, these wide grassy channels built into street berms, and then collects in recharge pits. Explain us for a bit for us. Yeah,
2: sure. Look, um, the the concept in Takanini, first of all, is um, what the main reason behind wanting to uh, do something different was the, the topography of of that area. Uh, that general area is very very flat. So um, when you're dealing with very flat areas, to um, have underground pipes for conveying um, stormwater flows becomes very expensive and because you end up having some pretty large pipe sizes, and and also we have um, a situation with peat um, soils uh, where the soils are bound to um, move. Uh, you know, they the, the, the can be um, uh, subject to movement, and when you have rigid systems like such as pipes, they um, they can fail or they can get displaced without um, anyone knowing because they're buried underground. The so. Ah. Yeah, that's part of the reason why we, we um, went away from pipes and looked at having a, a, um, an open channel system, if you like, try to manage um, stormwater flows on the surface, um, which is a, a, quite an efficient way of doing, of, of conveying flows through channels.
0: Quite amazing. So the open stormwater systems running along swales, these wide grassy channels built into berms. Question is, uh, Andres, do they work? And did it work?
2: Um, look, I, I think they do work. Um, they're very um, efficient. First of all, uh, from a conveyance point of view, um, channels—you um, uh, know—the work. The hydraulic um, cross-section of a channel is, is a more efficient cross of a pipe. That's the first thing. But the second thing I have to keep in mind is that if you have a channel or a swell on the, on the surface. Um, that uh, is overgrown or is displaying some blockage you will see that pretty much immediately and it's something that uh, um, lends itself to be passively maintained by um, you know a member of a public or a resident that might see that the, the flow of water is not happening correctly or whatever so
0: Oh, well, that's – that's, uh, Andres, that is really interesting because I think uh, an issue that we'll be hearing about more in time uh, are pipes that weren't maintained. A factor in that first massive inundation in Auckland, we talked to a person who lost his home uh, wanting uh, pipes to be maintained and uh, no one came round for months. Let's bring Jenny in on this.
1: Yeah, well, I'm certainly no expert in infrastructure, but what strikes me is when we have events like this and, and the infrastructure can't handle it and, OK, let's not look at assigning blame, which we're all a little prone, prone to doing in these situations, but let's try and find a solution for the future um, that will work and um, mean that we don't find ourselves in this situation again. And so clearly we need to look at alternatives. We need to look at different ways of, of managing um, water because um, this isn't going to be the last time we get weather events like that and you know we, we hear about things that are one in a hundred year events well they seem to be coming a lot thicker and faster than that these days so yeah let's look at alternatives and find solutions that really do work
0: Andres someone says they also have open drains etc in Hobsonville and that was an area that was known to have weathered um, this massive inundation fairly well uh, uh, is that right?
2: I'm not aware of the Hobsonville situation, I suppose, but I think the key thing with pipe systems is that they rely on uh, the intake structures of the great structures, if you like, um, from being clear uh, from any debris or any leaves or any um, blockage. And sometimes that's very difficult to manage in a very big storm event because you will get... Um, leaf or um, debris flowing into those areas, and as soon as it gets um, becomes ponded it 's hard to see and hard to maintain and it blocks very quickly and the nature of flooding in Auckland is very fliny very it happens very quickly, so oh. um, I think that's part of the the challenge with park systems is that you you are relying on that inlet structure or that grate if you like, to accept the waters in the first place. Mm.
0: The other issue uh, you mentioned, uh, actually just finally, Andres is that you said, look, uh, uh, at the end of the day, you really want to work with your natural topography and natural features in an environment as much as possible. So as a first port of call, flood risk areas to be avoided at all costs.
2: Yeah, that's, look, that's exactly right. I think um, areas that naturally would flood in a, in a given in a storm event um, – uh they, i mean they flood for a reason they 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 probably flood because they are in a natural depression zone um and therefore i think those zones should be respected as much as possible and um but often you can work around that by um by uh managing your stormwater on the surface through um again or roads that wrap around the contour of the land instead of um having straight curves. A straight alignment or straight road alignments that mean that you need to earthwork um, sites to create those those uh, gentle roads. You can actually have more curvilinear alignments of the roads to wrap around the contours, and you're not disturbing the, the gullies, if you like, or the natural well, um, patients. Mm.
0: Very interesting, Andres Kiota. Thank you for your time. I Appreciate it. It's an interesting angle there—the um, the, the notion of an open stormwater system as opposed to drains. Interesting, Jenny, because it kind of speaks to your experience, where here you had um, uh, the old city of Crychurch, which was very different to the new city, and you had a radical—you had to have a radical rethink on what the city needed to look like to at least be a little more withstanding of um, earthquakes and such like.
1: Yeah, you do, and I think I think it is so important that that you know our leaders think this through. One of the interesting things that came out in Christchurch was you know this um, tendency that we have now to go underground with our um, our power lines, and when when it's underground it, and you have an earthquake or. or Probably the same with the flooding. It's really hard to fix those power lines because you've got to dig, you've got to find them. Whereas the old telegraph pole and the lines above the ground, yes, they might fall down, but you can see where that is and you can get them back up again. Oh, and, that's
0: interesting. That might yeah. be a bit controversial because yeah, uh, I there, know, there, there has visual been. Visual cool. pollution. <laughs> uh, well, no, but, but, but also actually just trees uh, mm. downing. We might actually come back to that um, uh, above. Ground or below ground with lines But I want to get to this, across the week I have been calling for nominations For people who have done Someone a good turn, big or small Yesterday a reverend Who opened his church doors Day and night A man making street furniture From discarded materials from the flood Getting neighbours involved With us is Alicia uh, From Napier, six months pregnant And who had an experience in a supermarket Alicia, kia ora. Oh, kia ora Wallace So good to have you with us uh, Tell us what happened
3: So I'm actually from Christchurch We happened yep. to be up in um, the Hawke's Bay For a wedding on Saturday mm. um, Four nights away from our daughter Who was with my mum and dad And had a flight walked back From Napier on Tuesday morning um, And we'd been watching the Watching the, the news all week And heard nothing about the Hawke's Bay really It was all about Gisborne Auckland, Northland So we thought We don't need to change our flight. We'll be okay. Um, But then 9 o'clock, well, 6.30 came in on Tuesday morning and our flight had been cancelled. So we got put on a 4 p.m. flight that day and with a mission trying to get to the airport with no taxis, no power, no phone, Mm. um, (laughs) managed (laughs) to get out there and find out that the airport was closed and there was no flight that day. So. Got thrown into a bit of a spin, really, um, of what to do, because we'd left our Airbnb, which was a, an apartment, and blocked oh. our keys inside the oh, apartment no. as, as per-instructed, <laughs> um, and then managed to find somebody with a car that could bring us back in to the city, um, and we thought we'd better go and get some food for the whatever, whatever was to come, <laughs> and um, met some people in the queue to get... Into Pack and Save. Just by random chance, my partner turned around and asked if they were locals and where we could, where we could potentially find a hotel to to stay. Even though there was a lack of power, um, and they offered us to come and stay at their house for the <laughs> night. So, um, yeah, very very fortunate indeed with some some good community spirit. These people. I'm I'm 39. I'm guessing they're around our age. Um, but yeah, took us in, myself, my partner Mike and the other girl that we'd met at the airport and we had a we were very fortunate enough to have a hot meal for the night, a coffee in the morning before we missioned back out to the airport on Wednesday to try and get home.
0: I'm feeling almost emotional listening <laughs> to this. That is that is such an act of random kindness.
3: Oh, it was, it really was, and I was really thinking you know, we'll be in, a, in a, an emergency shelter with a lot of other people that had to deal with that for the evening um, and that's the way we were going. Um, so yeah, definitely a massive shout out to these people. We've got their mobile numbers and we'll certainly keep in touch but I don't, I'm not sure if phone lines are back up there yeah. yet. Um,
0: uh, Alicia, but. this is the way long-term friends are made. Hey, often in unusual circumstances, I can imagine you might want to keep in touch.
3: Oh, for sure, yeah, and a massive thank you to yeah Cam and Emma and, and Jodie and Lois who took us in and, um, yeah, definitely thoughts and feelings going out to the people that are stuck up there and hugely affected by this, this disaster, of course. Um, yeah, feeling very fortunate that we're back in, in Sunny Christchurch at the moment.
0: Cam and Emma and Jodie and Lois?
3: Correct, yeah, they were nice the two one. couples that... Um, helped us out
0: hugely. Thanks for sharing your story, Alicia.
3: Thanks,
0: Wallace. Take awesome. care. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's something, eh, uh, Jenny?
1: Oh, look, yeah, it brought tears to my eyes. Just human kindness. It's yep. just amazing, and, yep. and it's yep. amazing how people can yes. just reach out and help when, they so on get, when on that, it's, it's
0: It's an ongoing thing here on the panel. Those acts of kindness, those heroines and heroes in your community, Email me the panel at rnz.co.nz. Someone here. I want to mention the extraordinary folks at Hepper Hawks Bay, who are caring for the community of disabled residents with the utmost mm-hmm. care and kindness, and making sure they're safe and dry. 13 to 5, the panel. We received a message also from Coraline uh, Waipawa, Northland. Uh, Sorry, sorry, Waipu, rather. I've been cleaning up our property today and hardly saw a bird. On our property, we have thrushes, quail, kotari, barbary doves, turkeys, and even a pair of pheasants. But today, I just heard a tui. And then the hen, turkey had 14 teenagers before the storm. Six left today. We'd love to hear from an expert about the effect on wildlife and what we could do to help them. And I thought, I know the person, Dr Lynn Miller from Bird Care Aotearoa, Aotearoa, who will do an amazing job out of West Auckland. Dr Miller, kia Thank
4: you so much for having me and kia
0: Oh, I know your place very well. We delivered three birds in the space of a week to Birdcare Australia, and delivered and received with such kindness. Um, it's a pleasure to have you on again. So, what are the impacts of cyclones on bird life?
4: Pretty awesome. You know, weather events like that actually have quite a profound impact on everybody, and we we hear the horror stories that we you know our fellow citizens have faced as well but so do the wildlife and the animals of course in our world so it's really it it is a pretty devastating event for uh, all layers of society which includes our birds
1: yeah jenny yeah look i live luckily on the hills and i get to hear the birds every day and i i you know you imagine a big strong wind comes along and a whole lot of rain yes they are going to be impacted and um you know, as, as Coralie has asked, is there anything that can be done to help now? You know, what, what can she do to encourage the birds? You know, do we feed them? Do, what do we do?
4: It's a very good question. There's probably still quite a bit of food around. So food is maybe not the issue, but their cover has gone. A lot of the time trees have come down, things that, mm-hmm. you know, they would really depend on have gone. So I think we also need to think as we replant, plants are bird friendly and robust. Uh, trees and shrubs, so that we unfortunately know when these things are going to ha- these, these are going to happen again there's no question mm. about it. We are going to see more and more of these events and they are going to be more intense. The best thing is always to protect your land, protect the environment as much as possible by planting sensible plants, which also feed and support and shelter the birds.
0: Got it. Can I just focus on bird care? Oh, you provide such an essential service. You know, when we had those, and it was I couldn't believe it—three birds in the space of a week to, <laughs> to, to 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 you. Um, you run on the smell of an oily rag. Uh, how 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 has these events affected what you do uh, at at the um, uh, company there?
4: Well, it's obviously brought in some very difficult cases because obviously birds get injured in these events. So uh, we also have things that we don't normally have, such as a young, like a still a fuzzball gamut baby has lost been lost from the nest. Uh, we've also got, I think, about five or six other gannets in care at the moment. So birds that we would not normally see are here, and of course their diet is pretty specialised. That means lots of good fish. So trying to make sure that we have adequate supplies of that has been quite challenging. And of course, with the both storms, power loss has been a big problem. And we depend so heavily on our freezers to keep you know, fish stocks and whatever else we need to care for these birds. So thankfully, we had wonderful, generous people provide us with a generator for this last round. Uh, unfortunately, we have so many freezes. I think if we were truly going to get wired for a proper freeze uh, generator, it would be quite a big event. But again, we are now also very much engaged with the uh, environmental emergencies team here in Auckland. Right. And one, I hope that should we really get into terrible difficulties, they would be able to provide us with a very high-powered generator. But the cases we do get in, as I mentioned, are quite challenging. And it's not only the complexity of the medical care that they need, but also the food and making sure that they have what is needed to recover in what is a very difficult time for them all. We also, I have to take my hat off to two of our team members, Danny and Maria, who actually slept, and Lynn, sorry, who slept over here on the nights that were really bad just to make sure everybody was safe. So they literally bunked down in the cafeteria area on sofa and um, oh I don't my. think they got much sleep. But the thing is, everybody here is so dedicated, as you've witnessed. Everybody is so dedicated to caring for these birds and to do it in a professional way and really for the birds.
0: Just keep up the amazing work, Lynn. Um, Thank you. Really, really something. I have just really appreciate time on the panel today
4: my pleasure and any time we we'd love to chat and share our stories with everybody out there, there
0: Dr. Lynn Miller there, Bird Care Aotearoa in West Auckland, and that is the place I queued up uh, for about half an hour to d- deliver the bird with Little little Junior and, and Tab, and uh, they received that bird with such care and love, um, and uh, just, they do great work there. So that's Bird Care Aotearoa. Eight to five, the panel RNZ National, Jenny Morton with me, and it has been... An incredibly trying few weeks for people, and it is understandable. Many will feel exhausted and overwhelmed. This extreme weather can leave us feeling powerless, especially when faced with the ongoing effects of climate change. But what can we do in these circumstances to help us feel empowered as we, I don't know, take stock of Friday afternoon, go into the weekend? With us is Mark Wilson, professor of psychology, at Victoria University of Wellington. Mark Kiota. Yeah, lovely to have you here, Mark. Is it understandable? Is it okay? Is it normal if people are feeling mm. really hopeless all around, all around right now?
5: So I don't. I wouldn't say it's normal in the sense that it's the common reaction, but it is yeah. a common yeah. reaction and a normal response to, um, to, to seeing things that, that are outside of our normal experience on the news.
0: There was one, it's just an anecdote, but uh, I, talk, I bumped into an old friend uh, this morning on, on the way to work. And look, uh, Steve hasn't been affected, but he just shook his head and said, yeah. it's all so intense, I can't stop thinking yeah. about it. And uh, so it's relatable, the issue is relatable yeah. to all, whether you've been really impacted or not. Yeah,
5: that's right, and it's particularly likely to be a challenge for people to deal with if they have a personal connection to it, and many of us do know people who live um, and work in the areas that have been affected, Um, or alternatively, we may have had experiences ourselves that are somewhat similar to this. I think that um, I've been quite impressed actually by the at least the television news coverage, and certainly the RNZ coverage, because it hasn't been over-sensationalised, it hasn't necessarily dwelt on particularly sens- sensationalised images. And that's really important, because what we do nice. know from research and things like the, the previous disasters, like the Christchurch earthquake or uh, a little bit longer ago, 9-11, that the, when people are exposed to wall-to-wall ongoing um, Visual coverage of these sorts of things it can actually traumatise people who really? are actually really far away from them.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Well, Jenny, uh, you have experience here.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I. What struck me about the the reporting that I've heard and seen on this is is the compassion that mm. the um, the journalists have shown. They've, they've related to the people that they've been interviewing, and I put that in inverted commas, in a very human way, and it's been a connection between to two people it hasn't just been I don't know cold-hearted journalism Mm -hmm. which I don't I don't think is necessarily the norm in New Zealand but I I, I agree because there is when you're in the middle of one of these events there's a tremendous feeling of the unfairness of it it's like why did this happen to me why why this is really unfair it's out of my control I can't do anything and why did this happen to me and to my family and my friends and uh, I can imagine that, yeah, it's uh, just the people. We, if, when you see it all the time on the news, it, it is quite overwhelming. Mark.
5: Yeah, so I think that uh, one of the challenges of this particular issue is that it really brings to the fore a conversation that we've been having since the 1980s about our impact on the climate. So it's a really it's really emblematic of that issue. Um, And unfortunately, one of the reasons why we and our governments haven't necessarily done as much in the past as potentially would have been ideal at the time is because actually this is a really big issue. And for many people, it feels like something that their own personal actions can't necessarily make a difference in. The same thing applies to seeing images of people's houses having been destroyed or people left homeless, people with nothing. We can feel ourselves a bit overwhelmed and powerless. And that's why I'm a big fan of, in situations like this, doing something, no matter how small it might be, it may make a big difference to those people who, who it relates to. But also it gives us a sense that we have some agency.
0: Wonderful, Mark! Really lovely way to end a Friday. I appreciate uh, those thoughts. That's Professor of Psychology Mark Wilson from Victoria University. at Wellington. Earlier, we talked about this uh, Facebook page called Hawks Bay Floods. Lost family and friends have been blown away by the response. And I got a uh, email, very long email. I've just condensed it here, uh, Wallace. I hesitate to ask this question. Would it be possible for a reliable person in Gisborne to go and check on my late godmother's son, please? Name is Rodney Nelson. They gave me permission to say the name. Name is Rodney Nelson. So Rodney is 60 and lives alone. The address is 206 Derby Street, Gisborne, which is adjacent to Wikenai Creek. And if you can help, uh, you can you can just email me at panel at rnz.co.nz. And I will put you in touch with the person who sent this email. You're on the panel, Jenny Morton. It's great to connect with you again. (laughs) You too, Wallace. Have a great weekend, eh? Uh, Checkpoint is next with Lisa Owen. Stay locked to RNZ into the evenings, into the weekend. Special uh, morning report tomorrow morning.